So much of the modern world runs on REST APIs, but is that the only choice? Well, of course it isn't. Uh, Today we'll be talking about GraphQL, where it fits in with event streaming, and where you might and might not want to use it. All that and more on today's episode of Streaming Audio. Streaming Audio is brought to you by Confluent Developer. That's developer.confluent.io, which is the one-stop website to teach you everything you need to know about Apache Kafka, event streaming, event-driven architectures and systems. You'll find getting started guides, which will teach you how to connect your language to Kafka, all the way up to high-level architectural patterns of how you should build event-driven systems, and then back down into the guts of Kafka to teach you about the internals and how it works under the hood. You'll also find plenty of educational courses, which you can walk through with Confluent Cloud. If you choose to do that, sign up to Confluent Cloud with the code PODCAST100 and you'll get $100 of extra free credit to play around with. With that said, let's start today's episode. I'm your host, Chris Jenkins, for another episode of Streaming Audio. With me today is Gerard Kleiss. He's been a back-end engineer for uh, 10 years. He's been working with Kafka for six of those. And he's here today to talk to us about GraphQL. Gerard, thank you for coming to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, so let me step back and set the scene for people that don't know about GraphQL. Um, so here I am. I'm writing a web server, as I've done 100 times before. I run a query against the back end. I get an object back. I serialize it to JSON, and I spit it out over my REST API. Why should I step back and consider GraphQL in that chain? There could be several reasons, but one of the most important ones, I think, is also why uh, Facebook, the company that that kind of event GraphQL started it, and sometimes you really want to support all the clients. In the case of Facebook, that could be many different applications and also things like Android apps. Uh, People might not always update those. And then once they request data, so for example, you have a name field and at a later point you decide it becomes first name and last name. So then with GraphQL, you have to uh, say which which data you want to get. So that means that if I deprecate the get name and I introduce a get first name, get last name, then server side, they could exactly see, oh, this field is still being used even though we deprecated it. So we don't throw away that code yet. And then it becomes uh, more graceful uh, to, to deprecate things than if you would have something like REST. Because then, for example, you would have uh, one payload that has just the name one, and then you probably call it V1, because other ones, if, if you don't version it, then, then the old clients will break. And mm-hmm. then you have a V2 version, and that has the first name and the last name as separate fields. And that, that's, that's fine, but then you still don't know from the clients that ask for the V1 version what they will use because then there might be 30 fields in there and probably may, maybe they only need one. And that, that, that's another right. one that, that's overfetching. Like may, maybe for some reason it's only want to display the name, but you return a JSON with 30 fields. Then they have to ask that JSON what those 30 fields just to get the name part. I mean, it's graphical. You can right. say, I just want a name so, and just use that to display something. Right. So it's it's partly migration, but it's also kind of analytics on the API. You can see which fields are used a lot, which fields are perhaps completely useless. 
Yes, and that, that makes and, migration a lot easier. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, interesting. So um, let's get a sense of the shape of how you actually use it. So it's not like REST where your URI tells the server what you want, right? Yes. Um, so more often, the actual implementation uses posts, and then you have an object that can be quite quite can become quite big, and in there you really define sort of a graph of what you want to have. So in this case, for example, for the uh, for the name part, it could be that you say I want a person based on some ID, and then from that person, I just want to have the name value. Right. And then what you get back is a is a proper JSON with uh, person and then name and then some name. And you can also dig further down. So I could say I want a person and their address, and I want the address to be resolved to a lat- latitude, longitude. Yes, for example. You know, or so I, I want his friends and the friends of their friends. Or You can make <laughs> it really crazy queries. This is also one of the risks, but yeah. Right. Does that, that feels like it would lead into sort of different documentation because you wouldn't, in a REST API, you often want to know the shape of the thing coming back. But in GraphQL, yep. you're often in the state where the question you ask determines the shape of the thing coming back. So it's more in your control, right? Yes. Yeah. You can also okay. fully control things. Like I said, even when you're query for a person, and maybe for some reason you want to have it as JSON back as, uh, I don't know, imported person, then you could also say, I want to query this as an important person, but I want to call the person thing. And then you get a JSON back with important person. in. So it's very variable. Uh, also, it's how you want to get the JSON back. So you can do like renaming on the fly to suit you as a client. Yeah. Or you could, for example, query for three persons at the same time with the same query. And then, uh, of course, you have to give them names so you know which is which. But things like that you can also do. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you can, you're not restricted to say getting one user out or all the users out. You can say, I want these three because it's mother, father, child. Right. Okay. Yeah. I see how that would work. Um, How do people typically get started with this? Well, one of the things you often see is that uh, mostly the front end team is getting kind of frustrated. For example, with the back end team is often uh, late with changing things or uh, is changing things without communicating and then things start breaking, <laughs> for Been example. Yeah. So then they start uh, building a BFF that, that's called a backend for frontend where they will uh, they put it in between and then they typically consume REST since mo- most of it is REST and they will at the server level kind of transform it into a GraphQL endpoint and then translate every... Um, so all that, 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 that queries coming in to REST calls, combine them together and throw them back to the clients. Right. So I, I don't have to throw away my old REST client. I can build this on top as a kind of more yes, flexible there are, query. There are multiple ways to, to build REST APIs onto GraphQL. Okay. That's interesting. And is it... My other big question, I think, is, is it just for querying or can I, you know, if I need to create a new user, is that handled similarly? Yeah, so typically, like, I always find it a bit confusing with REST because I think typical REST, you have like seven type of operations and GraphQL <laughs> yes. just has, yeah. and then it's always <laughs> a debate whether which one it really should be. 
Uh, yeah, there's someone on the team who's the true believer in the right rest way. Right? Yeah, so things like that. So, so with with, with GraphQL, it's pretty easy. So you have queries. They shouldn't change anything, and they typically ask for for asking for specific information. Then you have mutations, so they do change anything, and because they can change anything, it's important if you have multiple mutations in one request that they are, are executed in order. That's also okay. part of the specification. And then you have uh, subscriptions, which is kind of like streaming, a- streaming APIs. Oh, tell me about those, because we're very interested in streaming APIs around here. Yeah, I understand. So that was also one of my biggest interests to get it working. So the demo application, uh, I didn't mention it, but I once built a demo application of kind of a banking app, app I think about four years ago uh, with mm-hmm. Clojure. And then I used Kafka for the messaging and you also had a front end and then all the transactions would be streamed. So you could see them real time popping on your screen using subscriptions. But okay. um, when I started playing around with different uh, server implementations and client implementations of those subscriptions, I also found some rough edges. So, so some of them do things just a bit different. And for example, in the Kotlin GraphQL library, I also found some errors. So um, then I found them myself and I fixed them and contributed them. So that was kind of nice that I <laughs> could do something uh, back for the open source community. But yeah, because often people mostly care about the mutations and the queries and subscriptions are not that often used in production. Also, because it's kind of hard to scale them properly. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you've got too many connected clients, right, that can be a challenge. Yeah, since it's a stateful yeah. connection. And, yeah. Yeah. But it's so much nicer when you have, like, I'm, I've worked on UIs where it's all web sockets, it's all streaming data, and the, the end user experience is so much nicer when everything's live. You know? Yes. So I, I'm a big fan of doing it when you can. Um, so, so it's, it's give, give me some gory details. All over web sockets. So there's like the, the kind of, but it's, that's kind of the problem that is not an of, official spe- uh, specification of GraphQL over WebSockets. And that kind of says you can implement this like this. And then most uh, of the libraries implement like that, but some like diverge just a bit. And then something, so, some clients with some servers, and then, then it won't work. Yeah. Right. So as you move from language to language, which it's, it sounds like you do quite a lot you uh, get a slightly different yeah. experience yeah no. but you've already mentioned closure in kotlin so uh and i know you do some rust so yes we're clearly dealing with a polyglot here yeah a bit <laughs> yeah for my work it's still mostly just jvm and mostly just java trope but yeah okay so um so give me some gory details what does what does subscriptions actually look like how do i set one up is it like running a query or um, much like it. So, but, um, like I said, the, the one I have most experience with is over WebSockets. I know there are also some that use server sent events currently, but I've never used those. So then, uh, you, you set up a WebSocket and then basically you also have like something like a running query and mm-hmm. what something you can do on the server side is for, uh, what I did with the bank application, then I create kind of a filter for all the incoming transactions. And mm-hmm. if it's the filter uh, let in that transaction, so for example, it's matching the account number and the subscription was started saying it should match this account number. 
and then it's sent to the client via WebSockets. Okay. So is it is it the back end that's setting up a, a GraphQL subscription, or is it still the front end saying, hey, I want you to subscribe to these things for me? The front end is always starting it. It's always but then, of course, on the back end, since it's a WebSocket, you get some, a stateful thing on, on the back end, the, the back end yeah. part. Yeah. It kind of sounds a bit like uh, KSQLDB to me. In which you set up these streaming yeah. queries that run constantly in the back end, but it's the client that defines them. Yes. I see that parallel. Yeah. Uh, that uh, Having worked with a lot of front and back end teams, I can see it, the back end saying, oh, we don't want to give up the control to the front end, but we do want them to bother us less. You know, there's yeah. a trade off there, right? <laughs> Interesting. So you've, you've used this in production? Um. Mm, Kind of like yeah, tell me that uh, story. Um, I think yeah, I wanted to use it at some point, but then we used it at a hackathon. But then, okay. especially for the streaming part, then it became much too complex for just one day to fix it in the cloud environment. So, so that was kind of a bummer. But but then that was because because the hackathon was on a production like environment, so that was interesting. And oh, I always right. also uh, did something for the Dutch National Police, but that was already there before I came there, and then we used uh, also used GraphQL. But then okay. GraphQL was used mostly server to server, and and then I had a bit of my doubts about that. Oh, that's interesting. Why would you use it server to server? Is it just yet another query layer to speak to different machines? Um, yeah, kind of. And of course, you have still the overhead issue, but mostly on backend. Backends is mostly close together. So then the overhead doesn't really matter that much. And also the versioning, since you probably deploy all the servers yourself, or at least can see which, which version they are on, you are m- much more in control with deprecation. So then it yeah. also, in that case, also makes less sense. And it's getting pretty verbose, like, if you just use REST, you can just call the endpoints. And here you have to really specify all the fields you need. So if you, and often the use case was that we want to have everything to put it in some other database. And then, yeah, everything that, that can be quite a huge thing. And then also if, if something changes and updates, of course, then you might run the risk of, of missing something. Right. Because but they, they might update the schema at some field, but then you also have to update your schema or, the, or you have to update the query. Otherwise, you don't get that additional field. Right. Yeah. So there's always backwards compatible migration and forwards compatible, right? Yes. You want, you want to be able to anticipate future changes. That is, again, that, that's reminding me of, um, of Avro, right? Yes. Migrations in Avro, it's not enough to think about a serialization format. You've got to think about change as well. Hmm. Okay. So is there, do you think GraphQL is particularly suited to Kafka event streaming? Is it particularly suited to any backend? Is, is there a synergy uh, there? It might be used as part of a solution to help with scalability. Since, of course, with Kafka, you can just start multiple uh consumers spreading all those events and then just for each consumer could consume potentially all the events and then just you have a web uh, over um 
an endpoint for each consumer. And then once they see such an event and then set it to the, uh, the one that's subscribed on the GraphQL endpoint. So I think oh, it could right. be part of, of, of scaling out. Yes. Yeah, I can see that. So you deploy every consumer with its own GraphQL. Of course, if you um, want to do it smarter and you have really like a lot of messages, you would probably kind of want to um, direct people to the correct instance that only gets messages that might be related to them. But then it becomes a bit more complicated and then probably just a custom WebSocket solution would be better because then you're more in control of what you're sending to the clients. Right. So so it's you're not saying that GraphQL is the solution, just that it should be one of your options on the table? Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, so tell me, um, if I wanted to get started with it, where should I start? What's the best way to get learning this? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't really know anymore since I started for you. I know like Apollo is like a big company that, that's very uh, big on GraphQL. So it has a lot of documentation and stuff. I think also like interactive playgrounds and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that would probably be a good place to start. Of course, you can also, if, if you really like uh, documentation and to read things, you could also read the GraphQL specification. Some people <laughs> like that. It's, it's quite Should easy to read. Should I confess at this point, I have. So, so. I read it a few years ago for a project, and uh, yeah, it, I would agree. It's it's not a bad read as specs go. Like if you really want to know what really GraphQL uh, sec is is about, then then I think that's a good good place to start. Mm, yeah, yeah. For specs, not too heavy and not too brief. It often is the best place to get started, right? Um, and oh, I was going to ask you um, types. That's another question on my mind about GraphQL. Is can you introspect the the schema or like the yeah, types so of different example, fields? Yeah. So, for example, if we have stuff? names, then it could be a string. Uh, so then, also on the client side, you know that it's a string. And for example, if you in your front end, if you use something like TypeScript and you generate um, your uh, API based on, on the GraphQL schema, then you know this is a string, and there are certain operations I can do on that. So okay. that, that, that's really helping also compared to REST where you sometimes can do it based on the open API specification and also generate something like that. But what I've seen in practice, I've done, not done that much front end, but then it's often just done by hand. Like I need this yeah. in this field and I put them in a TypeScript definition because I know that that's what I get back. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. TypeScript definitions are easy to write, but... Yeah, but then you have to maintain yeah. also. And and I, I think especially I with, with things like React, then there are really nice things that also do some state management and stuff like that. So if all your data okay. is, is coming from GraphQL, you can kind of hook that, that into it and then you get auto-completion and stuff like that. Oh, really? That could be an interesting side project. Because I'm... Um... I've I've got this little hack I do with um, WebSockets and uh, Kafka and Python and just uh, straight WebSocket API. I might see if I can do something with GraphQL with that because this sounds really interesting to me. Um, any any la- before we sort of wrap that up, any last tips for someone working with GraphQL? Anything to watch for? Um, there are some downsides on GraphQL. 
Most of mm-hmm. them are, especially if you have a public API and you don't really know what people are going to query for. So one of the most famous open GraphQLs is, is the one from GitHub. And I know they have like a pretty, uh, s- some security things about it. So before they execute the query, they check how complex it is. And if it's too complex, you just get an error back. They don't send it to the back end and have it rambling uh-huh. on it. And then they just send it back. So that, that that's one of the things. So you could have this like BFF, you called it, back end for front end, acting as the police yeah. for your query. Is there any support in GraphQL for that, or do you just have to roll your own? Uh, I think there's probably some community things with with uh, hanging about and, and like the complexity of a query. Okay. I haven't used it myself because I, I haven't used or I haven't worked on public APIs. Okay, but there are some cool. talks from from mainly GitHub and stuff how you how you can secure your public uh, GraphQL API. So that's one of the concerns. Right. I will see if we can get some of those put in the show notes so that people can find the links easily. Um, Gerard, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I I know that one of your other side projects is using schema registry and Rustlang. Yes. So maybe we can entice you back someday to talk about that. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> maybe so. Thank you very much, Gerard Kleiss. Um, thank you for joining us on Streaming Audio. Yes. Thanks. Hi. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Streaming Audio. My guest today has been Gerard Kleiss, and we've been talking about GraphQL. I've been Chris Jenkins, and I will continue to be in the next episode, so I hope you'll join me for that. If you've got any comments or questions, then please do drop us a line, uh, and especially if you've got your own story to tell on a future episode, let us know about that. If you're listening to this, you'll find our contact details in the show notes of your podcasting app, And if you're watching it, there's probably a comment box just down there you could drop us a line with. So please do that. Your reminder that streaming audio is brought to you by Confluent Developer. That's developer.confluent.io, which is your one-stop shop for learning all about Apache Kafka, event streaming, and event-driven architectures. You'll find courses there, getting started guides, interviews with people who've really kicked the tires and put Kafka in production uh, and seen what it's like in the trenches. And you'll also have the chance to go through various courses that will teach you in depth about how to work with Kafka. If you choose to sign up for one of those and you sign up for Confluent Cloud to run your Kafka instance, remember to use the podcast code, which is podcast 100, and that will give you a hundred dollars worth of free credit. And with that, let me just once again, thank Gerard for joining us. And thank you for listening.